A city is a dynamic organism. It's always changing. Um, and, and even you know the way things were a few years ago, they were a change from the way, the way things were a few years prior to that. This is the Seattle Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff Schulman, and today's episode will examine how people feel about these changes. In particular, today's focus is on Seattle's character and culture. You'll hear from two Seattle natives who shed light on why Seattle's character and culture matter to them and many others. You'll also hear from artist-turned-developer Sam Farazano, who will share his perspective on the importance of arts and how catering to the arts community can be financially rewarding. On the previous episode of the Seattle Growth Podcast, we examined the impact of Seattle's rising rents on the lives of its residents. You heard from Carrie. I don't understand how the last time my rent got raised, it was 50 bucks, which is reasonable. And then the next time it gets raised to like $200, it's just not like attainable. You met Steve Smith. I haven't seen the wages go up. What I've seen is more competition, is more people doing what I do to, to take, take in the influx of, uh, of uh, new people coming to Seattle. Yeah, not, not only that, I can't even live in, I can't even afford to live in the place where I build, build for people anymore. And you heard from city council member Shama Sawant. Seattle is losing what makes it Seattle. I mean, what people love about Seattle is partly the, the, lands, the natural landscape, but for a lot of people, what matters is the diversity, you know, racial diversity, also diversity in various backgrounds. As we transition to today's episode, there is no doubt that the city is changing. Many people were drawn to the city by its culture. People such as Taylor Graham, a former player for the Sounders FC organization, who is now their VP of business operations. Uh, I'm a transplant. There's a lot of transplants in Seattle. And so, uh, I mean, I fell in love with the city when I was here on a playing capacity. And so, um, gosh, I, I mean, I love the culture. I love the urban combined with the nature. I think the city is something very special. New people to the city bring changes, as Boji Majeo describes. It's so much more transplant that is pretty much bringing a lot of preferences from wherever, whether it's the Midwest or the East Coast, that I think a lot of retailers and vendors are catering to them, which is fine, but I think it really gives us, those who have been here from like day one or day five or whatever, kind of this like, oh, okay, well, we know that new money's here. But, you know, places like Pike Place and kind of the old places are going to stay traditional, which are touristy, but even just what's popping up in South Lake, it definitely feels like what's being created is for the new money. Kathy Kelly observed another change associated with the new residents. When I first moved here, there was a very strong anti-growth sentiment that I heard from people and really felt that chill. And now I see that there are so many newcomers that that has diluted the, <laughs> the, um, the original population, and so there, it seems more open to growth and prosperity. And this growth brings changes to the character, changes noticed by residents such as Jeff Mangalin. I don't know that I'd really welcome or be excited about the changes. Pretty much the significant changes that I see are the places that I used to enjoy going and uh, going out uh, when I first came up to the area in 2004, seeing concerts and stuff, you start seeing them disappear and you start seeing these cookie cutter like condos show up and uh, just kind of takes away the character of the town. And, and noticed by Mike Lang. As things have developed, 
you've ended up with uh, what I think of as kind of uh, kitschier developments. Um, you get the big name stores in the neighborhood. You get, uh, you know, modern design departments in the neighborhood with all the fashionable uh, glitz on the outside. And Though Mike noticed changes to his childhood West Seattle area, he expressed the following. A couple businesses that have come and gone, but there were businesses that would come and go before these, you know, this big, uh, you know, rush of development happened. And for many, such as Don Schultz, who operates a restaurant in the U District, changes are viewed positively. I'm pro-growth. I, I think it's great. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make this a different but much better neighborhood. It's a challenge. Uh, a lot of people are put off by the, the growth in general. They're just, you know, I've been here forever. It feels great. Why do I need to change? And I think it's a good thing. You know, I'm sure Chief Self thought the same thing when your great-grandfather moved in here and put up a house. He's like, what's this? This is my land. And, but change, um, you have to embrace it because Seattle is absolutely incredibly beautiful. There's going to be more people here. It can often be difficult to understand the attachment to a building or a business that one might have. But for some Seattle natives, the changes truly are deeply personal. To better understand why character and culture carry such deep importance to some of our community members, listen to my in-depth interview with Hazel Margaritis. I'm here with Hazel Megaritis at the Equinox Studios in Georgetown. Hazel, thanks for joining me today. Hey, sure thing. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I grew up here in town. Um, I've been doing metal work for about, what, 17, 18 years. What kind of metal work? Well, I was doing ornamental ironwork, uh, furnishings, railings, that sort of thing for a number of years. Now I'm doing cutlery. I started doing knives about five years ago, and that's pretty much what I try to do exclusively now. But I'll do whatever... I need to, to bring in the rent, so, yeah. And how long have you been at Equinox? Uh, one day. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your search for workspace. Well, it's been a long haul, actually. There used to be a lot of warehouses around. Um, the price per square foot was pretty reasonable before, um, generally around 70 to a dollar a square foot. Um, I won't get into details on specifics. Details are fine. Well, no. <laughs> but basically the dollar per square foot has gone up. Um, availability has gone down. Um, believe it or not, uh, even though I voted for the, um, I think it was the, what's it called, 402, the marijuana initiative, um, I'm all for it, but that actually has taken away a lot of the warehouses locally. Um, so as metal workers, um, it seemed like there was a massive shop uh, shuffle this year. Pretty much, um, I think, 70% of who I knew were looking for shop space this year. So it was all this mad scramble to find a new place to hold our business. Um, and it was pretty slim pickings, actually. We were looking in Everett, we were looking in Kent, looking way out of town. Um, <laughs> Actually going back and forth. Yeah, welcome to Equinox. <laughs> we have a lot of motorists. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. scooters. Where were you before you were here at Equinox? I was down at Big Building underneath um, the West Seattle Bridge in Soho or Soto. Mm -hmm. And what happened there? Oh, nothing. Just it was time for a change. I was there for 14 years. Um, I needed a bigger space because I'm uh, getting a new shop mate and we're moving into a bigger space here at Equinox. Just a little bit of a shift. That's all. All right. Yeah. So you're a Seattle native. Tell me a little bit about the Seattle you used to know and how it's changed. Well, that'd be a long story. <laughs> um, 
you know, uh, well, obviously rent's gone up. Um, I lived in a house up on Capitol Hill that was built in 1902. Um, it was two bedroom um, for what, $600, something like that for um, 13 years. That's now part of the um, tear down and build up into a multi-unit complex. Um, so it's pretty much happening all over town, you know, going from neighborhood to neighborhood. I won't even recognize where I'm at some days. Um, it's and so, pretty surreal, actually. Yeah. And just going in a little deeper on that, so where did you move when your, the place you were living got torn down for new development? Um, to a low-income artist community, um, lower-income um, Hiawatha. And so when your building got, that you'd lived there for 13 years, when that got demolished, uh, what were the emotions that were going through your head? Well, it was sad, of course, you know, um, end of an era. That uh, was one of those houses that was passed from friend to friend for, you know, uh, multiple years. We're talking decades. So um, lots of history um, disappear. So, I, you know, you can't stop progress. I'm fine with change. You know, it, it, there's some neighborhoods that weren't so, you know, good to be around. Now they, you know, are thriving and that's great. But, you know, I feel like a lot of our history is getting sold out. Um, and it's such a rapid rate that I think, you know, it, it's just a little sad to see. That's all. Aside from having to move, has, have these changes affected you personally? Well, yeah. I mean, having my house torn down and <laughs> looking for a new shop space and, you know, not finding it for, yeah, a while until now I landed here, which I'm quite happy to be here. Um, How long were you looking for space? Um, since October last year. Yeah. And so we're interviewing here in June 1st. So that is <laughs> eight months uh, of looking. Pretty and how much. long did it take you to find living a place to live? And then are there any changes that you're seeing in Seattle that you're welcoming that are exciting that are affecting you personally? Well, I mean, pretty much everyone I know is from somewhere else. So it's a wonderful thing to have people with different perspectives move in. Um, I think it brings communities who are of like mind closer together. Um, we all kind of huddle together and enjoy each other's company. So that's a good thing. Um, I think attention from the world on the local arts community is growing. I think that's a positive factor. Um, we've got the Seattle Art Fair coming up. Um, it went over really well last year. And that's our first international art show here in Seattle. So for the arts, I think it's a fantastic thing. In the last five years, the macro numbers are that there's a lot of money coming into Seattle and, and wealth being generated. Is that being felt by the artists in Seattle as well? Well, that's a tricky question. It's hard to say for numbers. I think me being in the metalworking community, um, we can get pushed out by some of the larger companies um, for structural railings and for you know the bigger construction there's a lot of people I know who used to do that kind of work who are having to kind of alter their their game plan because a lot of the work coming over from larger companies tends to take over because um, with a bigger shop you can charge less per square foot um, so on and so forth but I think yeah if you have a good client you have a couple of good clients you can still be part of that growth opportunity so an expression I've heard time and time again is a rising tide lifts all boats. Do you feel that you're one of the boats that have been lifted? Um, that remains to be seen <laughs> going through a shop move. Um, yeah, just restructuring. 
what I'm doing, especially shifting from railings and gates and things to cutlery and knives. It's um, a new market for me, so I think it's good. Um, I can also do a lot of my um, advertising and shipping um, over the internet, so as far as it being a local economy, that remains to be seen. Any particular memories that you have of Seattle that you're sad to see no longer? Well, you can't go home again. <laughs> I mean, what they say is true. So um, I think my childhood home, one of them is still standing because um, it's in a pretty, you know, it's near the University of Washington. There hasn't been a huge amount of growth right along that residential area. But anywhere else, yeah, I mean, it's a big shift. It's a big shift. But again, you can't stop change, you know. You may as well just roll with it. How have you personally responded to the changes that you've seen in Seattle? What well, actions just, have you taken? Uh, you work a little harder. You know, you try to communicate better with your, your friends and colleagues. And, um, you know, you just kind of find your tribe and stick with it as best as you can. You know, and welcome people who, you know, come to this community and have something to offer. Do you have any other concluding thoughts on the changes that you've seen in Seattle and, and how you feel about them? Well, um, I think just remaining open. You know, and every now and then you do have to stand up when there's um, when there's something that you see that's just not quite right. Um, there was something recently in Belltown that uh, some friends had a, a studio, um, and they stood up, went to the council, they went to the meetings, and managed to keep it from they managed to uh, uh, deem it a historical site. So you know, in certain circumstances. You know, when it just seems a little bit too much, then you can stand in. Yeah. Um, in other ways, you just kind of have to roll with it. So, Hazel, thank you so much for talking to me. I know this was a busy time for you as you're moving into <laughs> a, a new bit. studio. <laughs> and, uh, really appreciate your time and, and sharing your perspective. Thank you. Absolutely. A few days after I sat down with Hazel, she sent me this email that she's allowed me to read to you. As I remember, you asked the question, and I had no answer at the time. But the truth is, it's actually been a very personal thing watching these changes happen in the town I grew up in. I go through a kind of death every time a favorite building or establishment is pushed out or torn down. I've gone through so many of these deaths over the years, and especially at the rapid rate recently, I feel a bit battle-worn and in a state of beaten acceptance. Out of emotional survival, I have written the city I used to know off and come to accept this place as no longer the Seattle I knew. I feel in a lot of ways my hometown is sort of dead to me, which is how I have come to accept this rapid rate of growth as inevitable and a juggernaut, and will likely eventually be pushed out just as many others have been. I am only a visitor here now. There are pockets of culture here and there. Sometimes those gems of culture can be preserved, but it is increasingly rare. I am grateful to have found a place in one of the remaining holdouts for creatives, and I could only hope the folks moving and building here recognize some of what made this place what it is. The mountains are fantastic, of course, and make for amazing view property, but the people and the arts are what give the city itself its soul. I feel a lot of that has been sold to the highest bidder, but some remains. May it be recognized for the value as important as the land. Now, to get an additional perspective on how the changes to Seattle affect a Seattle native, listen to my interview with Dan Morgan. 
I am here at the Equinox Studios with Dan Morgan. Dan, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, so, Dan, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm a woodworker here in Georgetown. Um, grew up in Seattle. Went to high school here. Been here doing woodworking, construction, that sort of thing for for my whole life. <laughs> and so, do you still live in Seattle? I do. What neighborhood? Central District. Yeah, Yesler. And how long have you lived there? Um, on and off for the last 10, 12 years. Yeah, um, in this in the same area actually. And how long have you had a studio here in Equinox? Uh, this is my sixth year here. Tell me a little bit about the woodwork that you do. Well, um, I do a lot of custom furniture, a lot of uh, custom cabinetry, and um, a lot of uh, a lot of art-related woodworking, canvas stretchers, uh, framing, stuff like that. So it's a, a mix of art and uh, function. How is it being an artist and a, a woodworker here in Seattle in this time of growth? Um, actually, it's it's been pretty pretty booming for the last you know six eight years. Um, there's a lot of work, a lot of restaurants opening up, a lot of commercial spaces, and that's been kind of uh, our bread and butter for for a while. Just because there's just a lot of building going on and a lot of money here, um, so that has its upsides as, as well as its downsides. But you know, it keeps me busy and allowed me to start my own business and and uh, stayed busy ever since. And so let's talk a little bit more about those upsides. Any other specifics about the upsides you've, you've felt in the growth here? Well, I mean, like I mentioned, it's mostly uh, there's a bounty of work. There's plenty of, plenty to go around, it seems. I know, I know a lot of people that are doing the same thing I, I do, but um, it doesn't seem to be overly competitive at the moment because, I mean, I guess partially from growing up here, I know enough people that I can stay, stay busy. Um, other benefits to the growth um it's it's brought a lot of um it's brought a lot of new people to the city which you know can be good but it all i mean it has its drawbacks but uh it's definitely brought um, a mix of people here from other places and with that their their uh creativity their culture and so what are the downsides that you've experienced associated with growth here in seattle well definitely people in my in my uh economic bracket have the ones that I do know that have been able to purchase homes or properties getting it's getting further and further away from the city um, or elsewhere like Tacoma or Olympia Bellingham so that's that's definitely one of the major downsides Um, another thing that's you know that comes with the influx of new people is I feel like there's a there's kind of like this temporary community feeling where Nobody's been here long enough to really set down roots or, or, you know, so you get this feeling of, you know, people don't really care about the city that much because there's, you know, they're all kind of transient, not all, but, you know, quite a few. Um, You meet people, you know, on the street, especially if you're on Capitol Hill or Central District, you know, that's kind of where everybody moves here and wants to live. Those are the hip, like, inner city neighborhoods. And nobody's from here, you know, nobody, Um, which is... Which is, uh, it just, I feel like it, it kind of weakens the community a little bit. Um, but like I said earlier, it has its benefits as well. But it's uh, definitely ch- challenging when it comes to finding housing and, uh, and just being able to pay the bills. Can you walk me through your challenges finding housing? Um, where you lived, 
why you moved and how you found the next place? And um, well, the way I've kind of, I mean, really it helps to know somebody these days because if you go, you know, the route of answering ads or Craigslist postings, um, it's just so competitive that if you go to look at a place, I mean, if you're not there right when they open, I mean, places don't stay on the market very long. You have people offering more than the rent, which is kind of unheard of. Like a bidding more over a rental is like, I mean, I can't even believe it. It's, it's just, um, it's just really competitive. And the prices on top of that, you know, have doubled probably in the, you know, time I've been a renter. Um, which has to do with a lot of a lot of competition from like the tech sector I think um, people that work for Amazon or Google or you know they have a lot more disposable income than I do and if they're looking for rentals and we go head to head it's I mean I'm always going to lose in that one <laughs> and so you said the upside is you're getting more work and getting a lot of clients the downside is rents going up what's going up more uh your revenue in the work or your cost of living? I would say cost of living for sure. Um, you know, I do feel for- fortunate to be staying busy and, um, and with that you can be a little more selective and take higher paying jobs. And, um, that's, that's definitely gives you a little bit of leverage here, um, that you might not have if work was really scarce. Um, but it doesn't really, at least not in my, um, uh, you know, the trades, uh, sector of, of work. I mean, you could be making great money for a carpenter or a metal worker and it's still, it's not even going to come close to what a lot of people make in, uh, in the tech world, you know? So I'd say that the cost of living definitely outpaces, uh, my wage increase. Any other changes you've seen in Seattle that really strike a nerve with you positively or negatively? I definitely feel like the gentrification is an, is a big issue here. You know, having spent most of my adult life in the Central District and watching that neighborhood change pretty drastically is is kind of is a little frustrating because it was a predominantly black neighborhood for all of my youth, and uh, it's certainly lost a lot of its character. Um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of kind of irresponsible development going on. They're basically ripping out any old house they can and putting you know a multi-unit townhome in its place which which i i think that the development needs to be needs to be curbed i know that it's you know it's good for the economy and um definitely you don't want to completely stifle growth it's just not a smart idea but i feel like it's being done very irresponsibly and and not retaining any of the you know, character. Capitol Hill is a really good example. Belltown. I mean, a lot of the places I used to hang out as a teenager or, or in my 20s is, uh, they're gone. I mean, they just level whole sections of the city. And uh, Any know, specific spots that you miss that have been torn down? Um, you know, a lot of the bars and, you know, nightlife stuff on Capitol Hill, Broadway, um, that's all gone. You know, I mean, there's a lot in, in its place, but and uh, just a lot of the old staple places, whether they're venues or uh, bars or restaurants, they're just they're gone. You know, and I don't think, you know, the city is not really the same. Um, I know that there's going to be some of that, but I feel like it's being developed in kind of a 
irresponsible manner and it's kind of open to the highest bidder i think we're losing a lot of that just because they have they have more money you know and so tell me about central district um specifically can you walk me through some specific changes or landmarks or places that you've seen changing for the worse well i i live across the street from where i went to preschool which is now demolished and is like a 12 unit you know townhome development and i they started they started leasing them last year and they're you know they're like six hundred fifty thousand dollar townhomes and that's like i mean it's crazy for that neighborhood but they're all full you know and they're not they're not being occupied by people that i grew up around or that you know grew up in the neighborhood it's it's a large influx of money and people from out of town um which i think you know you know it's not always it's not all bad i think i i paint a bad picture of it but it is frustrating to see um because i just feel like um, a lot of the minority families and 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 just families in general historic that have historically lived in that neighborhood are being forced to move out and uh it's just kind of sad it leaves it leaves it a little bit hollow as far as being a tradesperson actually i have noticed like a lot of the inner city industry is is getting pushed out um ballard's a really good example a lot you know i think it's healthy to have some industry in the city uh jackson street where i used to live all of that's getting pushed out you know because real estate's just gone so crazy that you know people can't keep a warehouse you know with a metal shop in it or you know woodworking shop um in the inner city it just it just doesn't last factories stuff like that i think is important to have some of that in the inner city um just it just creates a a better economy for people and and gives people options and um if you push all that industry to outside of the city it it creates problems i think and do you still have places in the central district that you could go and and feel comfortable and hang out with your friends and uh or has a lot of the places that you would go in the central district changed? Um, I'd say there's, there's, there's plenty of places still, um, you know, new places, sadly, but, uh, I mean, there's still a few old, you know, staples, but, um, central district definitely has grown a lot in the, in that, in that nightlife kind of area. There's a lot more there than there was when I was a kid. Um, which I think isn't, isn't a bad thing. It just needs to be done in kind of a responsible way. Um, and you know taking a a residential neighborhood like that and allowing you know seven-story condo high-rises to be built it just really changes the vibe it changes the community um and that's that's kind of distressing for a lot of people i think especially people that grew up there yeah any concluding thoughts on economic and population growth in seattle and what you think of it yeah i just hope that i hope that this city can can find a way to keep some affordable housing and some diversity of, of uh, you know, properties and, and industry in the city, you know, other options for people to make a living that, uh, you know, that aren't, aren't in the tech world and aren't, um, you know, I, I just would like it to not be a city that only caters to the super rich. And uh, it seems like it's, it's heading that way. And that's, I don't think that's good for the city. It's not good for people like us artists trade trades people musicians you know all the things that make a city great um, that give it character that give it culture 
a lot of that's provided by people that don't make a lot of money um, and keeping diversity uh, ethnic diversity you know even age diversity you know it's such a young population that's now here you're just not you don't see that um, diversity in age and uh, I think that's important to, to you know to give the city some history to give it some culture um, I just hope that you know we can retain some of that and not push it all out uh, just in the name of, of more money. Excellent. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. With the changes in Seattle that my first two guests described, there are several residents working tirelessly to preserve character, art, and culture in the downtown area. I sat down with artist-turned-developer Sam Farazano, who started the Equinox Studios in Georgetown. He gives his perspective on how helping the arts can not only be good for the community, but also good for the bottom line. I am outside Equinox Studios with Sam Farazano. Sam, thank you for joining me today. Sure, thank you. Uh, so why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> um, I'm an artist uh, by nature and uh, an uh, accidental developer maybe. Uh, just uh, now my life is uh, building art space or workspace for artists and artisans. Um, here at Equinox Studios. And so how did you get into the developer space? Uh, well, I was just trying to find space for myself primarily. In the beginning, it was very selfish, uh, looking for affordable space and not really finding it, but then leveraging my construction background and design background to take over bigger, uh, bigger space and have my own place and then rent out the rest to other people. And so when did you start to make that transition? Uh, 1994. Six ninety-seven. Tell me a little bit about how kind of the rising rents that you saw back in 96 and 97 that led you to the, your path that you're on today uh, relative to the growth we've seen in the last five years or so. Well, it's kind of interesting. I mean, Seattle as a whole has obviously rents have risen sharply um, since I started here in 95. But the, the space, the affordable space for people who make things for like industrial space like this uh, has barely changed in its uh, price because th uh, my theory is is that as an artist or a small business or a you know uh, maker of of things in Seattle um, if the rents go up you can't just keep paying more rent you have to find cheaper space um, and so that's why artists and small businesses and everything are getting pushed out of Seattle um, the because the rents keep going up and it keeps taking over more and more industrial space then they're going down to White Center or going down to Federal Way or wherever Tacoma there's a lot of people going to Tacoma right now um, because they have to find affordable rent they can't keep paying more I mean in the Columbia Tower if you're a lawyer and the rents go up you got to kind of keep paying and keep going you can't move down to the basement because your clients aren't going to show up um, but in this world, people will move down to the basement or give up the windows or give up the nice space or go to their garage or go to their, you know, their living room or whatever it is. Um, so the rents have really not moved very much since I started 20 years ago. Okay, so the rents have not moved in the industrial space. So the store in, in, in this sort of small business, creative artist and artisan space, particularly. Okay. I mean, that's my specialty. The industrial space in general has gone up and down and up and down and now it's up 
um, in those years. And so why are people moving out of the city into Tacoma and the other places that you mentioned? They just, they can't afford it anymore. I mean, the, you know, the incomes aren't keeping up with the rise in rents, the rise in real estate. You know, right now in Seattle, the, the industrial market is so overpriced because of the legal pot growing. So uh, two reasons for that. One is they need space to grow and have their operations. And so they take the industrial because it's, they need the power. Um, the other side is it's still a federal crime, so they can't put their money in a bank. So where do you put it? You put it in a giant real estate piggy bank, right? Um, but like when we bought these two buildings, um, the prices were way up because of that. And the owners both had um, like over full price offers in cash from pot growers. Um, so it's really kind of skewing the market, but that's just one force. You know, space is getting eaten up by development, you know, down in Pioneer Square, the 619 Western Building where Jane was um, and I was for 17 years. Um, the Washington Shoe Building, um, all the, the different art buildings that have gone away due to development of one sort or another keep pushing people further and further out. My thing is trying to bring it back and keep people here. And what does it mean to Seattle to have the artists here rather than moving out? Uh, we're, artists are the soul. They're the, the creative vibrancy that we bring to the community. Um, you know, whether that's theater or music or painting or photography or glass or whatever it is, without the creative cultural vitality in that, we as a city, Seattle, would be dead. I think... For me, arts and culture are the, the, the soul of a neighborhood, the soul of a city. And we as Seattle need to start finding ways to retain that in the neighborhoods. Um, everything from Fremont to Georgetown to the industrial, whatever. But we need, to, we need to foster that and we need to keep it. And that's not just from like a, ooh, you know, woo-woo, like hippie, let's all love each other and do artistic things. It's also a really great financial model if you look at neighborhoods that have vibrant arts and cultural scenes like capitol hill the rents are off the hook because it's vibrant people want to be there um, but if you make it so that the artists and the cultural organizations can't be there then you're going to lose that soul and you see that in the the cycle of arts and creative neighborhoods going to development and then losing the soul and so the traditional narrative is one that you said you, you know about with artists getting pushed out of the neighborhoods they made great. You've decided to change that narrative. Tell me how and why. Well, why is because we need to. <laughs> um, but why you? Why me? Because I have to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, for me, it's a, it's a civic responsibility at this point. I mean, I, I like Seattle. It's a great town, and there's we have the chance to really be great but we're gonna lose that if we keep just developing five over ones to the horizon and pushing everybody out that push i mean it's not just artists it's the the low-wage workers it's the people that support the lifeblood of the city if we keep pushing them out we're, we're gonna end up in a mess right um so for me I want to stake the claim and say, look, this is a sustainable business model right here, right now, and we're going to be here forever, and it's going to be affordable, and it's going to be creative, and we're going to have artist space. Um, 
my whole thing is trying to bring that back to the core. And I think, you know, in bringing, keeping arts and culture in the core in Seattle, then we stay vibrant. But if we just push it around like to Capitol Hill and then when it's too expensive, it falls apart up there, then we're going to, we're all going to lose. So I feel like to have a city that I love, that I want to be in, that I want to live in, I got to do my part to, to keep it vibrant. And that's, for me, that's building this and, and expanding it and keeping it going, but also fostering other people to do it. Like when I, this model is, the, the ownership is for profit and it's a viable economic model with a reasonable rate of return to the investors, which is us. I mean, this is 100% tenant owned, but it's any developer could look at this and the, the spreadsheet says it's gonna make six to 8% on an annual basis and return that. Uh, profit so they could do it if they want to it's just they need to find the merit in it and they need to see the example so I want to set the example and have them follow and how was it pooling together the tenants to decide to fight back together um well I kind of just rallied and said we're gonna fight back and we're gonna I mean not really fight I don't really believe in fighting <laughs> in the in okay. the in the like because in a fight both people always lose right you both get hurt, you both fall apart, whatever it is. But unless they're so big, they just stomp on you, then you only get hurt. Um, but my thing is working together, is finding the ways, finding the common ground, finding the way to work together to, to inspire as opposed to threaten, right? So here, I want to inspire other developers to do the right thing, to, to help build the vibrancy of the city. Um, the people here in this community you know, we're a, we're a pretty tight-knit community, but there's so many people that want to be a part of this, and we kind of engage the greater public in so many different ways that it's, it's you know, it's a grander thing. Um, but for me, it was an invitation to all my tenants to come in with me and go forward. You know, we had this, just this one building across the street, and we had the opportunity to, to buy these other buildings. And in, in the process of doing that, for me, it was recognizing the contribution of all of my tenants to how I got here. I wouldn't have been able to pay the mortgage if nobody paid rent, right? And yeah, that's a contractual agreement. Like, I'm the landlord, you're the tenant, pay your rent, and that's what you get. But for me, they believed in me enough to keep paying the rent and keep supporting what I do, and they believed in the vision of taking over the rest of the block. Um, and so I wanted to recognize that and respect that, and so I took a third of it and said, okay, this is the tenant ownership part. This is, this is to help everybody in this together build equity and be a part of it and be an owner and be my partner. Like, it's a true partnership. And why Georgetown for this? Uh, a lot of looking around prior to finding this. Um, but it's one of the last sort of areas where you can do the type of things that we do. I mean, we do everything from blacksmithing and metalwork and glass and uh, ceramics and painting and photography and movies and music and noise and mopeds and like you know there's <laughs> there's there's so much stuff that you can't do in a residential neighborhood or you can't do in Fremont anymore I mean Fremont used to be a, a great bastion of like creativity and uh, industrial arts and you can't do that anymore in a lot of Fremont 
because there's too much residential development creeping in. Um, this, we're kind of insulated a little bit from future development um, because of things like the airport. You know, there's height restrictions. There's a terrific amount of benzene in the air from, you know, the pollution. There's the Georgetown plume of you know, toxic waste. There's the river and, you know, all of the industry, all of these things that sort of protect us a little bit more. But eventually development will come this way and we'll, they'll find a way to, you know, kind of push down here. But I think for me, we've got a long time and if it gives us time to really stake the claim and really hold this space for artists and artisans and small business and, you know, that creative, creative vitality here. You said you hope <laughs> this serves as a model uh, for others. Can you tell those others that you hope this serves as a model to, can you tell them what challenges you faced that... I faced the challenges you can help them overcome? Driving back and forth. <laughs> Same guy, just zipping back and forth. Um, is there anything you've learned through your process that you could share with somebody to help them make the same thing happen in another neighborhood or another part of this neighborhood? Yeah, I, I mean, I've learned, I've been doing this for almost 20 years, inadvertently and advertently, if that's a word. Um, I've learned so much along the way, like so many lessons, so many things that haven't gone right and so many things that have. And I'm still doing that every day. Like, you know, right now we're uh, building out the entire building next door. My goal actually is to take this and when I'm not running around like I had with my chicken cut off every day is, is actually sit down and get this into a format where I can translate it. Um, and that's why I built it as a straight-ahead for-profit model in the sense that it is replicable and anybody could do it. It doesn't depend on grants. It doesn't depend on charity. It doesn't depend on anything else. It, it's, you, can, you can get people to buy into it. Um, but really my goal is, is to make it replicable enough and, and be the guy that can help other communities do it. I don't want to like, you know, go to Tacoma and tell them they need an arts community and build something I want Tacoma to say, hey, we're a community. We want to build an arts community. Can you help us? And I'll give them everything, like free, here, take it. Like the more the merrier, let's all do this together. Um, but yeah, that's the goal is to really pass on the knowledge that I've got. One, because I want to keep doing this. I want this to keep happening. But two, because I feel like I have a civic responsibility. So many people have believed in me from the previous owner who believed in me enough to like carry the note when I bought this building originally to the city fostering the, the, the arts and fostering this and like looking at mechanisms to help us to um, the banks that carry the notes now, the organizations. Um, there's so many people that have really helped me come up and I need to pass that on and help bring everybody else up as we go. So going back to the past when you were a 619 artist and you were told you had to leave, and you said that's a similar story at other buildings that get developed for other purposes. What does it feel like? What feelings and emotions did you have at that time? Uh, I mean, my feeling was that 619 was inevitably coming to an end. Um, the, the, uh, there was always a clause in the lease that was a 180-day clause that was, for whatever reason, the landlord decides he's gonna develop the building. It's 180 days notice, you're done. No questions asked. And that's on a one-year lease or a 10-year lease. It didn't matter. Like, there was always sort of this looming thing. And the landlord was just holding the building until he could turn it and make, it, make all the money he wanted. Um, 
so I always had that feeling that it was it was not a permanent thing um, but I invested everything I could into that place to to make it vibrant um, but for me it was an opportunity it was an opportunity to say okay how do we as a city now resolve the idea that 120 artists are going to be without a building without a place to be how do we make how do we keep the invitation open to keep people in this city how do we make it like hey we appreciate you we want you here we want you to be a part of it and so we started like at the civic level with the office of arts and culture and different things around the city is trying to figure out like how do we make this happen so we don't lose 120 artists um, so for me it was an opportunity to really look at Seattle and figure out what's broken and what could be fixed and what can help everybody thrive so you created Equinox and what do you see as the future well I hope for a day off but no um, the uh, Equinox will be a thriving amazing community of people right now we're at a hundred or so uh, different artists and artisans will be at 125 when this building's done uh, in five years we'll probably be at 200 maybe um, we've got we've got our a deal on the small building at the end of the block that we're trying to resolve environmental issues to add that to the to the fold um, we've got a longer term deal for the brown building over there or orange building to uh, when he's ready to retire to buy that whole building we lease half of it right now um, that's a couple years away before we're before he's ready um, I'm trying not to manifest the next building over yet so I can't talk about it because if I start talking about it it'll happen and I'm not ready okay. um, but our goal is to is to really keep expanding here and keep keep this the, the creative industrial complex is what we're our tag name um, is is keep growing it and keep providing more space until until there's enough space um, for people to do what they do and to thrive in a community with other people in a in a place where the cross-pollination and the collaboration and the co-inspiration all like it's just off the hook and people are thriving here so I'm gonna keep going and what do you think that means for Georgetown five years from now I think it's gonna be pretty awesome <laughs> I mean I think Georgetown has some growing up to do as a as a community we're, we're not ready to secede from Georgetown yet but we do call ourselves West Georgetown <laughs> um, but no uh, my goal is to grow all of Georgetown in in that vibrancy um, to bring everybody along with it right like I don't want to it's I can't exist in a vacuum over here with 150 people it, it doesn't it doesn't work we have to be integrated and we have to work as a community to come together and and really look at like what do we want as a neighborhood to grow into the future I want to expand arts and creativity and vibrancy here um, you know people over on airport way want to expand restaurants and bars and that kind of vibrancy and there's a good balance there um, they support each other I think the future is really bright for Georgetown if we do it right if we do it wrong it's not going to be good. <laughs> Do you have any concluding thoughts on economic and population growth in Seattle and what it means to you? I think it's a huge opportunity. I think it can bring so much more diversity to a really not so diverse city. And that's in thought and in jobs and in color and in history and background. Like, There's so many opportunities for Seattle to really grow up 
and really become a uh, whatever that word is that means you're really cool in the world. <laughs> um, I, I think it's just a huge, it's an opportunity. You know, there's so many resources in people that are coming here, whether they're immigrants or refugees or um, neighbors from down the road. Like, if, if we really are intentional as a city about what we want, and if what we want is a vibrant cultural community that is diverse and exciting and financially uh, beneficial for everyone, we can do it. Like, there's a huge opportunity there. But again, if we don't do it right, we're all screwed. <laughs> like, we might as well wait for the volcano to go off. And but Before I let you go, can you just say, do you have any ideas as to what is doing it wrong? Do you have any concrete ideas of that? Or Doing it wrong is selling Seattle to the highest bidder. Um, we need to enable our community here to lead the way in development, in diversity, in all of the things that we want. We have to do it from the inside out. If we rely on institutional money from other cities coming and buying up our land and developing 501 buildings, again, to the horizon, we're going to lose it, right? But if we, if we build this city from the inside out, from the soul and the who we are and that community and really do that without the focus on the the million the, the making the millions if we do it on the focus of building community then it's going to work and so. your hope is that you have proven that building the community can also be profitable oh it's amazing like when the banks ask me you know, I'm doing the pro forma and everything. And they're like, okay, well, what do you, what's your vacancy rate? I'm like, I don't have one. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't have a vacancy rate. I have a waiting list of people to get in here. I have 50,000 square feet of people on my waiting list after I fill the next building. I could fill two more buildings, right, if I had space. The reason for that is community. The reason for that is the people. But if you don't focus on the people, if you focus on the bottom line, then you have vacancy rates and you have subway in your, in your retail space and you have dead neighborhoods. It works. And the more you do that from this level, we're in a couple buildings, but you can do that at the neighborhood level. If you build that community, if when you go to a neighborhood and you buy a piece of land, go and talk to the neighbors, figure out what they want, figure out what would be a, a resource to that community, and then you'll be successful. If you just build a building without caring or without understanding where you're building it or who you're building it for, then yeah, it'll work on a bottom line sort of thing for a while, but it'll go up and down. If you do it like this, it'll slowly increase over time and everybody will win. Sam, thank you so much. It was very nice to hear your perspective and, and your thoughts on this matter. Appreciate your time. My thank pleasure. You. Thanks for asking. Sam is a strong voice for art and culture in Seattle. But I'd be remiss if I did not give attention to the fact that there are other developers who are passionate about Seattle's character and culture. Check back on the website, seattlegrowthpodcast.com, for extras, including a soon-to-be-released interview with Urban Visions CEO, Greg Smith. Though I'm considered a developer and a real estate guy, I love creating real estate. I love creating spaces. And I look at real estate, especially in development, as starting with a horizontal canvas and what can you do. And... Um, but also renovation of old historic buildings is okay. There's this beautiful, beautiful space. How can we retain its? How can we retain its um, 
you know, its beauty and then also preserve it into the future. Now that you've heard perspectives on why character, culture, and arts are important to residents, I want to hear from you. Use hashtag SeattleCharacter to have your voice be heard. Next week, join me as we explore the opportunities to add density to the city. You'll hear City Council Member Michael Bryan discuss legislation that he is proposing to encourage more backyard cottages. And so I kind of question what the term single family means. Um, For me, it means a sense of what kind of the scale, shape, and form of development we expect in our community, but less like who's related to who and who lives where. And so um, if I felt, if I heard from people like, hey, we shouldn't call this single family anymore, we should rename it, um, fine, I'm happy to do that. What I hear from most folks is don't rename it. Let's just be a lot more flexible with the definition. You will hear from University of Washington Associate Professor in Architecture, Rob Pena, you know, again, there's just no doubt that um, collecting our resources, living in entire proximity, has advantages, and it has some good advantages socially too. So we see the kind of development going on in Capitol Hill, which I think is a step in that direction: six to seven-story apartment buildings, a mix of uh, neighborhood uses, schools, um, commercial places. Um, that that's a pretty rich model, and it's a model that's more like the kind of cities that I think are most sustainable around the globe. And you'll also hear from a land use planner with over 10 years of experience, Teresa Greer. Most bang for your buck is a high rise in a dense area that has planned for high density development, development around really the urban, urban hubs. And that makes the most sense from an environmental perspective because it's an area that already has excellent bike, buses, and also now light rail. I hope you'll join me next week. In the meantime, please rate this podcast in iTunes and subscribe if you haven't already.